Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21 today. All right, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power of that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of Jesus. We thank you for the glory of Jesus. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we might live a life that is worthy of imitation. Father, we pray that you would give us power. Lord, that our life may so match our profession that we'd be able to Say to our kids and to our grandkids and to our neighbors, imitate me. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the keys to understanding this passage of Scripture is identifying who is Paul talking about when he says he weeps over the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of the phrase enemies of the cross of Christ, I immediately think of people who are anti-Jesus, right? People who don't believe in Jesus, who are angry at Christianity, uh, people who might be an atheist or who might try to undermine Christianity, undermine the church. I think of these guys in, 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 the, in the village in, in Solomon's area who stabbed a pastor 64 times. I mean, when I think of an enemy of the cross of Christ, that's who my mind immediately goes to, Okay. I do not think that is who Paul is talking about in this passage, okay? I think for this passage to make sense, he's actually not talking about atheists or unbelievers or idolaters or pagans who don't believe in the cross of Christ or don't believe in Jesus. I actually think he's talking about people who would be in the church, people who would be professors of Christ, people who would identify themselves as Christians, but people whose lives do not match their profession, okay? Now, let me show you why I think that's who Paul is talking about here. As we look at chapter 3, if you remember the last couple weeks in in chapter 3, you know that Paul started out out talking about how he has radically uh, changed the accounting system in his life, okay? Remember, he used to to value his heritage and, and his works and his religion. But after he had come to see the surpassing glory of Jesus. Remember that phrase? The surpassing glory of Jesus. After he saw the glory of Christ and the righteousness of Christ, all of a sudden his value system is radically changed so that that now Jesus is who he values. The cross is what he values. And everything else he he considers as nothing. And if you remember, that leads him in verse 10. Verse 10 is a critical verse in chapter 3. We looked at it for two weeks. That leads Paul to say the passion of his life is now that he might know Jesus, that he might, that he might 
interact with Jesus and that he might hear and, and, and respond to the Son of God, that he might tap into the power of the resurrected Jesus, that he might share his life. Now Paul's passion is, I want to share the mission of Jesus, even if that means suffering, even becoming conformed to Jesus in his death, becoming like Jesus, more and more like Jesus. That's the passion of Paul, is that he might be like Jesus, not like him, that he might be transformed by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now, in verse 17, it makes sense for Paul to say, hey, guys, I want you to imitate me in this kind of life. And not only me, but everybody else who walks in this way. All right? Now, first of all, let's stop right there. And let's, let's just admit that we as American Christians don't like to talk that way. Okay? How many of you woke up this morning and said, hey, everybody, family, you guys imitate me. Do what I'm doing, right? I mean, that almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like, man, you shouldn't talk that way. That sounds prideful. You know, that, that sounds arrogant to say, hey, everybody, imitate me. But what I want you to see is, if your life matches your profession, if your pursuit of Christ is the same as the Apostle Paul's, it is not at all arrogant to say, imitate me. In fact, it, it, it is arrogant to say, hey, don't do what I do. I even had someone tell me that this morning. They, they left, the, the, I, I preached this whole sermon and they left and I said, hey, you know, are you able to say imitate me? And he said, no, 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 don't do what I do, you know. And, and, and that's in general the way we like to act. That's the way we like to talk. He say, don't do what I do. But friends, our life should so match our profession that we should not have any trouble saying to our kids, hey, pray like I pray. Read the Bible like I read the Bible. Share Christ like I share Christ. Be holy like I am holy. Treat your spouse like I treat my spouse. Treat your kids like I treat... I mean, we should be able to say that. Our, our, our life should so match our profession that we would be able to say that in genuineness. Now, does that mean that we're perfect people? That's going to be everybody's hang-up, isn't it? We're going to say, hey, I'm not perfect. Hey, you know what? Neither was Paul. Okay? And in fact, didn't he just say that? If you were here last, last week, we looked at verses 12 and 13. And Paul says in verse 12, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. In verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Paul said, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not sinless. Listen. Christianity is not about perfection. Not yet anyway. We're getting to that in glory, okay? Heaven is our home. It's coming. But right now, we, we, we don't claim to be perfect. We don't claim to be sinless. In fact, 1 John 1 eight says, If you say that you have no sin, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself, okay? Christianity is not about per, 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 perfection. Christianity is about pursuit, okay? It is about the pursuit of Jesus Christ. It is having a life that says, my value system is Jesus is at the top. He's better than anything. And I am pursuing him. And daily, I am crucifying my own sin. I'm embracing Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And I'm crucifying my own sin so that I'm becoming more like Jesus Day after day. Now listen, if you're becoming more like Jesus day after day, if you're in the battle, that, that's really what I would describe the mark of a Christian. The mark of a Christian is not that you got it all figured out, that you're perfect. The mark of the Christian is that you're in the battle. Okay, you, You're being convicted of your sin. You're responding to that conviction. You're repenting. You're confessing. You're, you're making things right. You're making restitution. You're growing more and more like Jesus every day. That's the mark of a believer. And if that mark is in your life, you ought to be able to say, Hey, guys, imitate me. You ought to be able to say that to your family. You ought to say, I'm not perfect and I'm going to mess up. But you know what? When I mess up, watch how I do it. Watch how I mess You know, 
One of the greatest marks of a Christian is watch how they mess up. Christians mess up really good, okay? That, 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 that's, what, that's the mark of a believer, is that when we sin, when we blow it, man, we're convicted of that. We respond in, in confession and repentance, and we go and make things right as best we can. That's the mark of a believer, And friends, there is a ton to be learned by having people that you can imitate in your life. Hebrews 11 and 12 are are chapters basically built on, hey, look at these saints' lives. If you've ever read Hebrews 11, it says, hey, man, look at Noah. By faith, Noah built a boat. And look at, look at Abraham. By faith, Abraham left his country. And look at Abraham. By faith, Abraham offered up his son Isaac to the Lord, his most precious possession. By faith, Moses didn't consider the, 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 the difficulties of being a part of the people of God, you know, as, as, as being of any problem. But he, but he treasured that more than the riches of, of Egypt. And this whole chapter is, is look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy. And then chapter 12 says, hey, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, man, don't you see the faithfulness of God in those people's lives? Isn't it the same today? Man, can't you wait to go next week to your small group? And you get to hang out with real Christians. Isn't that awesome? You know, Christians who who don't have it all together, who've got problems and struggles. But you know what? They're fighting through it. And and they're, they're trusting Jesus to work in their life and work in their difficulties and work in their problems. And through their life, you know what you get to see? You get to see the faithfulness of God. Isn't that cool? You know what you also get to see when you imitate people or when you're imitatable? You get to see Real faith lived out in the nuts and bolts of life. You know why God sent Jesus to die on the cross? That's the answer to that, by the way. Okay, <clears throat> But another reason is, is that we might know the character of God lived out in human flesh. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's God like? You know what? God gave us the, the answer to that in Jesus Christ. He put on human flesh and He showed us this is what God is like. This is how God treats people. You know, this is what God's able to do at the tomb of Lazarus. You know, this is, this is how God feeds people. This is how God loves people. This is how God teaches people. This is truth, okay? So, so in Jesus, we get to see the truths of God lived out in a man. But you know what? God has the same plan for you in your church and in your family. You, you need to be able to see the truths of God lived out. In, in real people. Isn't that helpful? Does anybody else agree that that's helpful? I mean, in, in the Bible, doesn't it say love your neighbor as yourself over and over again? But how does that look when your neighbor borrows your weed eater and doesn't bring it back? You know, how does that look when he keeps complaining about your dog pooping on his yard? You know, how, how does it look? How does it look to love that guy? How does it look to love your neighbor when he, he, he's always, he parks so that you can't get out of your driveway? How does that look to love your neighbor? You know what you ought to be able to do? Well, you ought to be able to look at Jeff, and you ought to be able to look at Jim, and you ought, you ought to be able to look at David and Fred and Leon, and you ought to be able to you ought to be able to look at real Christians that you know, and you ought to be said, well, that's how they love their neighbor. They they have the same problem. You know, here's how they handled that, and sometimes they handle it real poorly. But if they're a believer, what do they do? They go back and fix it, and then you're able to say that that's how it looks. Do you see that? I mean, there's a great advantage in being able, to, being able to see how Christianity looks in somebody's life. Your kids and grandkids desperately need to see the gospel lived out in flesh. They need to see it lived out in your life. So Paul says, hey, imitate me. 
You know why he's able to say that? Because there ought to be a clear connection between what you believe and how you live your life. And what Paul sees here, okay, so, so let's follow our, our, our sequence of events, all right? <clears throat> Jesus is better than anything, so my passion is to know him, to tap into his power, to become like him. I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on. Imitate me. But then he, then he has to say, but it breaks my heart to tell you, you can't imitate everybody. See, everybody that claims Christ, you can't imitate because some people, their life doesn't match their claim. You know what we call that, don't you? Hypocrisy. Isn't that what we usually call that? When someone's life doesn't match their claim? I want to point out something to you. How does Paul handle hypocrisy? Notice he says in verse 18, I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. Tears. Some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, the reason I think that's important, because you know how some people in America, at least, I don't know if this is the same in India, but you know how some people in America have handled hypocrisy in the church? They've discarded the whole church, okay? They went to their small group, and man, there was a hypocrite there. They knew he was a hypocrite because he had a huge H on his shirt. He came, and he was there. And you know, so what, you know what they do? They discard small groups. Man, I don't want nothing to do with that small group junk. There's just a bunch of hypocrites in there. Now, first of all, that bothers me because we don't do that in any other area of life, right? Just because there's a counterfeit Christian doesn't mean that we, that we discard Christianity or we discard small groups or we discard the church. Why would we do that? How many of you are convinced that in the United States of America, there are counterfeit currency, okay? So there's $20 bills that are fake. We, we know there are, isn't there? Because there, there's pens that, that are, are the teller, they check them with, don't they? Well, in order to be consistent then, if we're going to act that way, if we're going to discard something because there's counterfeits in it, then I guess we have to discard money, don't we? You know? I mean, I mean just, just to be consistent, if we know there's counterfeits, we don't want nothing to do with money, right? So when the boss hands us our paycheck, we get a little mad. You know, we're like, I don't want nothing to do with that. Just a bunch of hypocrites, you know? Just a bunch of hypocrisy. Go to a barter system, right? Just bring your pig into Walmart. See if you can trade it for toilet paper and, and paper towels, right? I mean, that's what we're going to have to do. We don't do that in any other realm of life. Why, when Jesus was the one that told us from the very beginning, there will be many who profess to know me, but whose lives do not reflect that. How should we respond to hypocrisy? Weeping. I mean, it should break our hearts. We, we should be sad. We should be sad that somebody's life does not match their profession of faith. And, and that's where Paul is at. And he says they're enemies of the cross. Why does, it, why does he use that phrase? Enemies of the cross. You know why? Because first of all, the cross of Jesus is central in Christianity. Okay? <clears throat> I have this <clears throat> thing that keeps happening. It's happened to me ever since I've been a pastor. Whenever I talk to children about the gospel, one of the big things that has to happen in their life is they've got to, they've got to get it in their head that the big thing is not what I'm doing. The big thing is what Jesus did, okay? Because whenever I talk to most, 80% of the time, when I talk to children about the gospel, they'll come forward, I want to be saved, I want to become a Christian, I want to be baptized. And, and, and here's what they'll say. I'll, I'll say, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And they'll say something like, well, you read your Bible, you know, or you, you do good, you obey your mom, you go to church, 
You, 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 you stop hitting your brother, right? And, and, and was, all that stuff is good. I'm not saying any of that, that stuff is wrong. But that's not what it means to be a Christian, okay? If that's what we're depending on is, is going to church and reading my Bible and doing good, then, then I'm not a believer because Christianity is about Jesus. He is the big thing. In fact, when I talk to kids about, about, um, uh, about, about Christianity, here's what I do. I have three things, sin, cross, faith, and repentance. And I always write sin down here in this corner, and I circle it, and I talk about how we're all broken and how how we're in desperate need. And then I draw a cross that is as big as the whole page. And and I go over it several times, and I tell them, I want you to see this is the big thing, okay? The cross, that you can't get anywhere in Christianity without the cross. And then over here I write faith and repentance. And then I tell them, here's how we get linked. I draw arrows to the cross. This is what links us to the cross because the only power in your life comes from the cross. The cross is absolutely central. In fact, when the Bible talks about living the Christian life, it always talks about death. Okay. It talks about death in Romans eight thirteen. Let me read you this. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. First Peter 2 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin. Die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, let him take up his what? Take up his what? His Bible? Take up his pew? Take up his his what? What is he taking up? His cross. Why? Because it's central. Without the cross, we've got nothing. Man, the cross is what convinces us that Jesus loves me. How do you know Jesus loves you? How do you know that he's for you? You know, because some of you got some tough things in your life. I was talking with a gentleman this week, and man, he's just got hard things in his life, and he's, he's angry, and he's bitter, and he's struggling with, does God really love me? Let me tell you, folks, and I know bad things happen, but let me tell you, the cross convinces me, okay? I mean, it settles it for me in my heart and mind to know that I was an enemy of God. I was against him. I, I, I didn't love him. I didn't serve him. I didn't worship him. I was going to hell. And Jesus Christ put on human flesh and lived the life that I could not live. And then he suffered a torturous death on the cross, taking upon himself. This blows my mind that he would take all of my embarrassing, guilty, filthy, junky mistakes and he would bear them as his own they would become his and he would pay the penalty for him and he would bear the wrath of god for me so that i might be connected to him and i might receive his inheritance shoveled into my life forever i think he loves me i think he loves you the cross is what shows us the horribleness of sin how do we know that sin is bad Because sin leads to death. Sin leads to the cross. Sin leads to the the perfect son of God having to be crucified. The cross demonstrates God's passion. And you know what God's passion? You know what his passion is for us? That we would become like Jesus. Remember? Remember what Paul said? That I might know him. The power of his resurrection. Fellowship of his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That's the passion of Paul's life. That's what he's pressing on toward. Man, that's, that's the purpose of the cross. All right, listen to 1 John. 1 John 3, 8. Ready? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. What's the devil's plan for you? He wants you to sin. He, may, he wants you to make a practice of sin. 
There's a difference between an isolated sin that you repent of and a practice of sinning, okay? A practice of sinning is you sin today and tomorrow and, and, and you sin in the same way and you don't repent of your sin and you don't deal with your sin and you don't battle against your sin. You live a habitual life of sin. That's what the devil wants for you, okay? It says in verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. But listen to this, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason, what's the reason? that he might destroy the works of the devil. He wants to break that in our lives, that we would not live in habitual sin, but we would become more and more like Jesus every day. Now, if there's any doubt about what he means, look at the next verse, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. You see, you know why? Because they're connected to the cross of Jesus Christ. They've got the Spirit of God living in them. And he cannot, that's a great word, he cannot keep on sinning. He can't do it. There's conviction. God is working. He's connected to the cross of Jesus because he's been born of God. And so, can you see why Paul says here? Okay, let's, can, can we get a run at it again? Okay, chapter 3, what's it all about? Jesus is better than anything. So what's the, perp- what's the plan of my life now? I want to pursue him. I want to be conformed to his death. I want to tap into his resurrection. I want to share his life. I'm pressing on toward that. Okay, but then he and then he says, hey, you need a real example. You know what that looks like? Oh, go ahead and look at me. Go ahead and look at look at these guys. But you can't look at everybody because that's not happening in everybody's life. You see, some people say I love Jesus with their mouth, but the cross is not at work in their life. In fact, they're enemies of the cross. They're going the other way. What does the cross do? The cross has taken us away from habitual sin and toward becoming like Jesus but these folks are going the other way in their life. They're not becoming more like Jesus. They're living in, a, in, in, in habitual resistance to what the cross would do in their life. And Jesus describes them as enemies of the cross. Okay, that's my introduction. All right. Now, it's after 12. So, we're going to go really fast, okay? And we're going to skip some stuff here. Um, we're, we're, here's his description of these folks, all right? They're in his destruction. We're going to skip that. I think that's, you can handle that. This one we're going to hammer on, though. Their God is their belly. Oh, man. Uh, Americans, we hide in shame behind our buffet line here, okay? Their God is their belly. What is he talking about? Their God is their belly. First of all, what's your God? Your, your God is whatever you say yes to, right? Your God is what you worship. Your God is what you treasure. Your God is what you live for. Your God is what you obey. And he's saying, these folks, they don't obey and worship and live for Jesus. They obey their physical desires. Now, the most common physical desire is for food. That's why he uses your belly, okay? But man, could we expand this to sex, comfort, recreation, possessions, pride, position? All those are physical desires, aren't they? The desires of our flesh. And he says the mark of these guys is they don't say no to their physical desire. When, when, when their physical desire conflicts with Jesus, they don't put it to death. They obey it. They follow it. They live for it. They yield to it. He says their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. We're going to skip through that one. How about this? Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, this is really important because he's going to contrast this in a minute in verse 20 with our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? So, so, so you got one group of people who their mind is on earthly things. What does that mean? They're at home in this world. Okay? What, do you, what, what, do you, what does it mean to be at home somewhere? It means, man, this is, this is what I love. 
And th- this, this is where my dreams are. And this is where my hopes are. This is where my comforts are. This, this, is, what, this is what I strive for, okay? And, and, and if your mind is set on earthly things, all of those things happen here. You don't have any dreams beyond this life, beyond today, beyond gratifying my desires, my belly today. Solomon John Baptist convicts me with his life. I'm I'm striving to imitate that guy right there. Because you know what he did? He was working for IBM. He had all the stores in Macy's, Macy's department store. That was his account. He's he's working in India 10 years ago for $1,900 a month. And that may not sound like a lot to you, but when the average person in his his, uh, state makes a dollar a day, when you make $1,900 a month, you're doing really well. But Solomon John Baptist had a dream. And his dream was to take the gospel into the villages. And so he let go of, of his earthly dream. And now he makes, now he still works for IBM. He, he ministers all day long and then goes home at night and does programming for three hours. They retain him as a consultant. Then he makes like $300 a month now. But you know what his dream is? You just saw his dream. Do you have dreams like that, by the way? Do you have dreams for your kids, for your family? Do you have dreams of taking the gospel to the ends of the world? Do you have dreams that your children might love Jesus? That your, your kids might value something higher than, than this world? Do you have those kind of dreams? Do you, do you have that kind of passion? We're not all going to be missionaries. That's a certain kind of person. But, but do, you, do you have, where's your citizenship? Does that make sense? You see what Paul says there? But our citizenship is in heaven. Where do I belong? Where's my home? Where, what do I value? What, what, do, I, what, what do I love? Where, where's my treasure? That's the way Jesus said it in Matthew 5, didn't he? He says, where's your treasure? What, 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 what do you treasure? Where's your identity? Citizenship makes a big difference, doesn't it? If you've ever been to the border towns, I heard a guy tell this story one time. I've not been to all of them, but I've been to Del Rio and Acuna, if you've ever been to those border towns. And if you're on the north side of the river, okay, let's just say you live 50 yards from the river on the north side. You probably live in a cul-de-sac. You probably live in a place with streetlights and sidewalks and paved roads. And there's a Walmart right down the street. And there's a Chili's and an Applebee's and a a McDonald's. And and you probably make, you know, in, in the realm of, Thirty to sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. If you live a hundred yards to the south across the river, it's very likely these are the neighborhoods I went through. There were some that were nicer, but I went through neighborhoods that had cardboard boxes as walls and made instead of sixty, seventy thousand, maybe a thousand a year, maybe a hundred. What's the difference? Citizenship. Isn't that amazing? Citizenship. And I want you to take that same principle and I want you to apply it to heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Do you feel the joy of that? I mean, you, you know what that one phrase does? That one phrase just loads us up with, man, I got good things coming for me, okay? I've, I've got incredible things awaiting for me. Notice what he says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior. That doesn't mean we're like waiting on Jesus like when are you going to get here? That means we're like, oh man, look at what I got coming. 
Look at what's coming for me. My citizenship is in heaven. And very soon, let me, let me take you to the end of verse 21, okay? By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus Christ, the power of his resurrection life is such that every molecule and atom in the universe yields to his word. That power, one day, is going to flood your dead body your corpse, and going to transform you into his glorious body. Isn't that that just what it said? You think I'm making this up? It's in the Bible. Look here. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Why is that important? You know why that's important? Because we we don't even understand. Even though our our, our soul and spirit are connected to Jesus, this deal's broken, all right? I mean, it's weak, it's fragile, it gives up, it whines, it cries, it, it yields a temptation. It is not fit for what's coming, okay? I mean, it just, it can't handle the glory and joy and pleasure that awaits. And one day Jesus is going to send his power and he's going he's gonna to make us new. He's going to make all things new. Our citizenship's in heaven. So, Paul's point here, we're heavenly minded. Okay? Remember the last point of, of these folks that their life doesn't match their, 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 their profession? It says they're earthly. Their mind is set on earthly things. So let me just back way up. Okay? I want to be able to, and I'm going to, but it makes me tremble. But I, I think it's the right thing, and I want you to be able to do this. I want to be able to say, watch my life and do what I do. I just feel that it's disingenuous for me to be a pastor and not be able to say that. Christian parents, grandparents, I think you ought to be able to say to your family, watch my life and do what I do. Boy, there's pressure there in it. Don't you feel it? Your knees knocking. Does that mean we're perfect? Nope. No, in fact, if you tell your kids that, you're lying to them. Don't tell them that. But here's what we're saying. I have seen the glory of Jesus. And I, my life's pursuit is to know him. To tap into his power. Share his life. Become like him in his death. And I am pressing on. I am pre- I'm battling. I'm fighting. I'm, I'm getting knocked down and I'm getting up. I'm, I'm sinning and I'm confessing and repenting. And my, my, my trajectory is to get to Jesus. And my mindset is not on earthly things. It is, it is rooted in the fact that I belong to another place. Okay, if that's your pursuit, you can say, watch me. Watch me. And when I blow it, which I will, hopefully you'll see what, what it looks like for a Christian to blow it and get up. Right? Let's live that kind of life. Where our profession matches our life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for... Uh, for Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for, for the life that we have in Christ. Thank you that our citizenship is in heaven. What good news that is today. And Lord, I just pray that we might live a life that is worthy of imitation. That we might live a life that is consistent with, with a passion to know you. To experience you. To become like you. Father, help us. Give us power. In Jesus' name.